Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I'm reckoning that I am dead to sin. It's my conclusion about myself that I've died to sin. Now i got to walk that out. But I'm concluding that. I'm not giving my flesh space to live its way out. I reckon myself dead indeed to sin. That's what we're all to do. And so if you haven't considered yourself dead to sin, if you feel like, no, I'm still kind of going for it, I'm still living in it, God said one of the things that we need to do is reckon the old man dead. I've got to reckon my body. I reckon myself to be dead to sin and alive to God. I am alive to God. You died to sin when you were saved by God. You were saved from sin so you can live a life fully devoted to God. Free from guilt, shame, and condemnation that sin brings with it. The joy God will bring to your heart as you press in closer to Him is unlike anything the world could ever offer. And it's waiting for you every day. As you'll see today with Pastor Bill, it's a daily choice you need to make to not give in to the old sins you used to, but to walk in the freedom you have of being a child of God. Now, Here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Your old man, or if you're a woman, your old woman, the old nature, the old person, God said, has been crucified with Christ. It's been hung on the cross. And the same way Christ hung and he died, God says, your old person, your old nature, your old man has been hung on the cross like Christ to die. And it says that it might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Everybody here before Christ were a slave. You were a slave to sin. We'll learn later that whoever you submit yourself to obey is that person whose slave you are, rather to Christ or to sin. And so before Christ, we were slaves to sin in different ways. Everybody here, it may have manifested in different ways. Some of you guys are manifested being liars and thieves. Some other people in sexual perversion. Other people in drugs and addiction. Other people in, you name it, some of y'all in a collaboration of those things and some more stuff. We were slaves of sin. And what's a slave? A slave doesn't do what they want to do. They do what they have to do. And so anybody ever been in a position where I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't stop? You're a slave to sin. I was a slave to many sins. And God said that we're no longer to be a slave to sin. Now that I belong to Christ, I'm not to be a slave to sin anymore. I gave you the analogy before of someone who was a slave to the devil, slave to the enemy. Um, He's a harsh slave master. Um, He treats poorly his slaves, abuses them. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy them. And so he's not, doesn't treat them well. And Jesus says, I come. You weren't worth very much. You were a a wreck on the slave auction blocks, but I purchased you with my own blood. I bought you to be my own. And how foolish would it be for someone that God has done that for if that person were to say, but man, I know I was a slave over there. And I know that he beat me and he treated me bad. I never got paid, but all my friends are over there. So I'm going to just go this weekend. I'm going to just go back over there where all the slaves go. You go back for a beating and an abuse and everything else. And God's like, I, I bought you out of that. And I brought you over here and I cleaned you up and I got you healthy and I fed you and I gave you new purpose. And I gave you direction and I wanted to keep you over here. Whereas a slave to me, you get fed and loved and treated well and ministered to and built up at purpose and eternity. How foolish is it, though? Because we do it where we have this in Christ. And then we like, but there's some aspect of that that's missed. My friends or the food or I don't know, whatever. There's something over here that we go back for. God says, look, we're not to go back. We're not to be a slave of sin anymore. Now we belong to Christ and we're supposed to enjoy this. We belong to him. And just keep in mind, too, if you're a slave to something, it owns you. 
And this is the challenge with being a slave to sin because we choose our sins and people can do a sin long enough to where they feel like I'm in charge of this. I kind of do it when I want. I stop when I want. Um, But God says, no, if you're sinning like that, you're actually a slave to it. It owns you. It owns you. It tells you what to do. It makes you get up to go do it. You go against your conscience to participate in it. You spend money you don't have to go buy it. You know, you're a slave to it. But Jesus would set all of us free from any sin that we don't ever have to be a slave to sin again. This is one of the benefits and blessings of walking with Christ is that we can be free from the bondage of having to sin. God would deliver us and free us from that. But I do think it's important as we're reading through the chapter that you're understanding that there's a part you play. For God does an amazing part, the forgiveness, the positional, situating us. God does all those things, but God calls us to agree now. I am dead to sin, continue in it any longer. And so moving on in verse eight, it says, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. I'm sorry, I skipped verse seven. He who has died to sin has been freed from sin. That's our reality. We died to it. We've been freed from it. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And I want you to notice that Paul is using Jesus as an example of what we're to be. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. Sin's no longer supposed to have dominion over us. We've died to it. And dying to sin, we've overcome it. We're no longer a slave to it. We've died to it. We're not to be dominated by anything. And so I would ask everybody here to be very honest with yourself. And if you recognize any life-dominating sin, if you're sitting here and saying, man, I am dominated by this particular sin, um, something in your character, something in your nature, something in your behavior, something in your practice that you know it doesn't line up with Christ, it, it doesn't fit with who you are in Christ, it takes you away from what you're supposed to be and do in Christ I really want you to identify it. It's important that we identify those things and that we call them what they are, that we be honest about it. Um, Because in identifying them and calling them and recognizing them, we can now come to the Lord for help with these things. I don't think it's healthy for someone to be struggling with, you're a kleptomaniac, you steal all the time. You're like, yeah, I just kind of have this one issue. We can really minimize these things that have dominated our whole life. We don't want to do that. You want to call it what it is. I am a thief. I can't help myself. I see some stuff. I got to have it. I violate my conscience. I go again. I do stuff to the family. It is wrong what I do. I'm a thief. I need help. God help me. God will help that person. Somebody over here minimizing it. You know, sometimes what I kind of do is I spent some money, but I throw this part in. We can reason and just start making stuff like it don't feel that bad. You know, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I love you. But I know that if you reason with your sin, that you can't confess and repent about the sin that you're reasoning with. You'll never have victory over the thing that you're excusing. And so I can't ever excuse my sin. If you slap me in the mouth and I cuss you out, I can't say, well, you know, I don't really normally cuss, but she slapped me. And so then that just triggered me. And I said, all this stuff, man, it's not really my fault. But after she slapped me, I just, you know, I lost my cool. You know, I got to come over here and say, you know, something in me came out right from the mouth of the heart. The mouth speaks. Something followed my heart came out of my mouth. You know, you may have been the person to squeeze a toothpaste container to bring it out, but it came out of me. I got to confess my wrong, my sin. God can work with that. God can take you from there and work with you. But you got to be honest first so that God can begin to work with you, work on you. But God can't help me with any sin that I don't confess. You guys remember Saul. God said, kill all the Amalekites, utterly destroy everybody, wipe them out. And Saul came back and he kept King Agag and he kept some of the good animals and everything else. And he came back and he saw Samuel, the prophet, and said, Samuel, I've done all that the Lord told me to do. And Samuel said, 
I hear, what's the bleeding of the sheep? He heard some sheep going, bah. He said, what is the bleeding of the Every animal's not dead. And what did Saul do? Saul said, well, the people kept them back for going to offer it to the Lord for sacrifice. We got spiritual. He said, well, the people kept it back. Their fault. But we're going to offer it to God a sacrifice. So we're going to do a good thing with it. What did Samuel tell him? He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. God would rather have your obedience than your disobedient sacrifice. If you got to sell dope to give an offering, you'd be broke. you come to church broke, you know? So obedience would be better than sacrifice. God didn't accept that. God didn't take that excuse and say, oh, okay, now I get it. Samuel didn't say, well, good job then. He said, no, no, God's not accepting that. So we need to know that, right? I got to be honest about where I'm messing up because that's where God will take me and help me from. Moving on now, it says, verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, you might underline once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he said the death that he died, speaking of Jesus, he died to sin once and for all. When Jesus died, he died. That was once and for all. Everything was taken care of in his death. This is good for you and me, right? Because we're going to mess up sometimes. Even the best of us are going to make mistakes. The best of us are going to fall short and we're going to blow it. And so for my position in Christ, it's healthy for me to understand that when Christ died for my sins, it was a once and for all thing. If you've been born again and God has forgiven you your sins, how many times do you need to be saved again? Never, never again. Really, if you've been saved, I never need to go back and go down an altar call and say, Lord, please receive me again. I may be confessing sins until I go to heaven. I'm not in my glorified state. I'll be repenting of things and confessing sins and getting up and falling down and walking forward and moving with the Lord. But I'm not getting saved again. I got saved in October of 1995. I'm saved. The blood of Christ has cleansed me from my sin. My position in Christ is solid. I'm still a work in progress, though. And so as a work in progress, it's important for me to know that Christ died for my sins once and for all. My sins are paid for in full. I'm covered. I'm good. But in terms of my ongoing relationship with the Lord, yeah, I need to repent. I need to confess things. I need to make it right. I'm still learning how to walk with the Lord, but I need to understand my position. Because when people forget that, if every time you mess up, you get saved again, how often do we mess up if we be real? You'd be a schizophrenic Christian. You'd be like, Lord, I'm, I'm saved. And I say, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in. It's like, you'll be like that. And one of the things that the enemy does, right? When Paul taught the Christians about putting on the full armor of God, he said, put on the helmet of salvation. One of the things the enemy attacks is our minds. And if Satan gets you to believe that you're not saved, and even if you are, but if you start feeling like I'm not even saved, I mean, I just did that. I can't believe I did that. I can't be saved if I did that right there. Well, now that I don't think I'm saved, I won't be pressing forward to do things God called me to do. I won't be much of an evangelist not convinced that I'm saved myself. I mean, what good will I be if I'm convinced that I'm not saved? Not very good. I might go ahead and agree with what I think and say, well, I'm not even saved. I'm going to just go ahead and mess up. I don't even think I'm saved anyway. I'll get saved again next week, you know. And for some people, they stay defeated because they're not confident. They're not assured of their position in Christ. I got to be assured of that. I got to know where I stand in Christ and that I am a work in progress. But look at verse 11. It says, likewise, you also reckon the old man dead. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That word reckon means to consider or to conclude, I'm concluding within myself, I'm reckoning that I am dead to sin. It's my conclusion about myself that I've died to sin. Now I gotta walk that out, but I'm concluding that. I'm not giving my flesh space 
to live its way out. I reckon myself dead indeed to sin. That's what we're all to do. And so if you haven't considered yourself dead to sin, if you feel like, no, I'm still kind of going for it. I'm still living in it. God said one of the things that we need to do is reckon the old man dead. I've got to reckon my body. I reckon myself to be dead to sin and alive to God. I'm alive to God. God, I'm not a slave to sin, so I'm going to be a slave to you. Oh, this is so important. Some people get saved. It's almost like they stop at my sins are forgiven and they don't go anywhere from there. That's why we encourage people to do discipleship, that they would understand that that's just like step one. You were born. You know, you get a baby at the hospital and you have the birthing room and the babies are born. Bam. What if the baby's born and all the nurses, say, okay, goodbye. They left. They don't do that. They said, no, we got to cut the thing and wash it up and clean the throat and feed it food and slap a diaper on it and give it some, you know, there are all these different things you do. You don't just stop right there. Now we've got new life. Now we got to care for it, nurture it, take care of it, build it, watch it grow and get strong and healthy and everything else. And that's like us. We come, we get saved. And for some people, it's like, okay, I give my life to Christ and say, there it is. That's enough. But God's like, no, no, that's just the beginning. Now you're a babe, as a newborn babe, desire the milk of the word. You got to be in fellowship, be in the word, get built up, get stronger, because eventually I want to do something with you. I got a plan for you. Eventually you're going to grow up and do something for the Lord. Eventually, God said, what I'm pouring into you, I'm going to pour it through you. And so if I never take those steps, right, if I say, well, I died to sin, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I don't ever come to the place where now I'm happily a slave to Christ. And a slave may sound like a bad word, but when it's a slave to Christ, it's not bad at all. I will willingly submit myself as a slave, a bond slave to Jesus Christ who loves me, who died for me, who has a plan for my life, a will for my life, who's taken me into heaven, who knows me inside out, knows what he created me to do, that gives me gifts. Everything I need is wrapped up in him. I will gladly be his servant. And so if some people, okay, I'm no longer going to be a slave to sin and I'm going to give my life to Christ, but I never really come over here to live for the Lord. It's easy to stay over here and get entangled back into all the old stuff because you're not walking in your purpose. Um, I've found that over the years as I walk with the Lord that many, many times walking in my purpose didn't allow for the old life. Now, you know, there are times early on when I remember when I felt like I'm called to be in ministry. You know, I wasn't that long in the Lord. There were still a lot of issues and things that were being worked out. But for me, it was like, well, if I'm called to be a minister, then I can't. I definitely can't mess up like that if I'm supposed to be a minister. So it would keep me like I got purpose in the Lord. And my purpose says I can't do that. My purpose in Christ says I can't be fumbling like that. I got to stay over here. And the longer you walk with the Lord and begin to walk in your purpose, you'll find that just walking with him in my purpose will many times keep me from even being, I can't say it keep me from being tempted, but it's like this doesn't fit. But you get saved and don't walk in purpose and sit around too long. And you'd be over here saying, well, you know, I'm not doing anything anyway. You know, it looks like they're having a great time over there, you know. And you'd be over there jacking up your life. Whenever I find a Christian that looked like they bored in the Lord, I know you ain't doing nothing. You sat too long. It's, you have to come to a place where it's like there ain't anything more exciting than to step out and do something for God. It's risky. It'll keep you up at night praying. It'll stir you up. It'll be really exciting when it goes well. There's warfare. There's battle. There's, there's all these things that keep you engaged and excited. There's no such thing as a bored Christian that's really living for the Lord. But So if you over here like, I'm bored. I'm trying to walk with the God. Go to church. Nothing to do. Blah, blah, blah. You're not doing enough. You haven't found what your purpose is. You're not taking, you're not taking steps of faith weekly, risking something weekly. You're not doing this the right way. It's like if you were on a football team 
and you had an outfit and a uniform and some cliques and you went out to the game and you sat on the bench and you watched the game and everybody else was hitting and smashing and going through and you went to practice all week again and you went to the game on Friday night and you sat there and watched them hitting and banging and going and scoring and tackling and you did that for three, four, five weeks. Black man, football sucks. I hate being on this football team because you ain't doing nothing. You got to be out there. You got to go play. For the guys that are playing, they can't wait till next week. Practice has purpose. Because I'm learning what to do this week, where I'm going to go and I'm going to do it to somebody else out there. Practice is exciting. Everything is exciting. For the believer that's really walking with the Lord, church will be exciting. I can't wait to go and to see what God will say to me this week because I know I'm going to be living for him. Church will be exciting. Worship will be exciting. The things you go out and do will be exciting. Your life in Christ will take on dynamic purpose and meaning because you're walking and living for him. But you just sit around. You'll be like that person on the bench. Watching the All-Stars get down. Everybody uniform dirty but yours. You're going back, you're like, I don't even have to wash it next week. I'll just put it back on again, you know? So you don't want to be that Christian. <laughs> Please don't be that Christian. So if you need something to do, if you need guidance in that, um, again, one of the goals of the discipleship that we do, by the time we're done, you know, we've evaluated gifts and try to place people in some way. There's more than enough to do and even maybe some things that we haven't even thought of to do yet because we don't know all the resources that we have among us. But don't sit forever. You know, babies can sit for a while. They can't do much yet. But you're saved and walking for a while. Um, you need to be praying. God, what have you called me to do? And let me step out and see what you'll do. At least be exciting. I'd rather fail. I'd rather do something crazy and exciting and it just completely flop than to just sit around. It's exciting. You know, anybody here that's done something for God, that stepped out in faith to do something, it is exciting. It gives purpose to my walk, purpose to my life. And um, I don't know that there's anything like that. I don't know there's anything that will compare with getting to work with God and come alongside. So moving on. So we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we're not just dead to sin. We're dead to sin and we're alive to God. And that's important. So, again, verses 1 through 11, to answer the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You cannot, because you're not the same person. You're died to sin. You're supposed to be alive to Christ. You can't just keep living like that if you're saved. Now look at verses 12 through 14. It says, therefore, do not let sin, do not let sin, do not let sin. It's a command. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not, again, another command, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but instead present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So if I can reiterate these commands real quick. First says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. When sin reigns, that means sin is dominating. It's been said, you know, if you take two dogs and, you know, two equally sized, you know, pit bulls or whatever, and you're going to let them fight, which dog will win the fight with the one you feed the most? If I take a week and I feed this one good, healthy meat and food and this other one is getting some cat niblets, you know, at the end of a week, this one over here that's been eating real good is going to be all yoked up and strong and tear the other one up. That's like the spirit in the flesh. And some of us over the week. Your flesh is on roar. Your flesh is getting TV and music and carnal conversation. And you're just feeding the flesh. is like flesh is super, super, super yoked up. And the spirit man over here is like, I can't even get a reading. We ain't read in four days. We prayed over one meal in six days. I mean, the spirit man over here, scrawny as he can be, 
And then when it comes time for battle, you're like, oh no, why? I just keep failing. I keep falling. It's something you're doing wrong. You're not sowing to the spirit. Your spirit man is over here dying. He's anemic and just skinny bones, Joan. You need to feed him. That's why you need to be in the word every day. You need to be in regular fellowship. You need to have some good people to be around you to encourage you. You need to establish a prayer life. You need to fill this man up and make him strong and build him up. He'll be ready when the battle comes. And as you die to your flesh, right? The flesh doesn't die easily, but I'll give you my own personal testimony. You, you starve it to death. The areas of my flesh that were like, man, I don't know if I can ever go without this. You starve it to death. You don't toy with it. You don't say, well, I'm going to just cut back. Let me give it a little bit. You know what I mean? You don't do that. You starve it to death. When I first, you know, committed that I knew God told me stop drinking, um, I remember telling my buddy Curtis, led me to Christ. I'm like, I can't commit to not drink at all, but I'll cut back. Instead of my 40, I do a tall can. Um, that didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work, you know? <laughs> Tried that. Uh, what would happen after a tall can? was a taller can, you know. I'll testify honestly. I committed at times, I'm going to do that. I'm going to cut back. And I would get a tall can. After that, it was like, now nah, I wet my whistle. But I'm still trying to be good, so now I'm not going to get a 40-ounce, get a 22-ounce. After you have those two things down, it's like, well, now I'm just going to go and buy whatever I want. And I'd be right back where I started, maybe worse. When I got saved, you know, God's told me, stop. Cold turkey. Stop. Just, Err. and that worked. It was very difficult. Very, very difficult to my flesh. Um, God helped me. The only way I got through that was the Lord's help, but God did help me. But God wasn't helping me cut back. God was like, you die to it, I'll help you. You quit. Now, I remember the first step was pouring out stuff, and I poured it out, and the Lord was helping me in that. I will be honest, there was a period of time I couldn't go into the liquor store to buy gum. I would drive by a liquor store in my heart. I don't know if you guys have sin where like, I have a physiological reaction. I would drive by the liquor store. I could feel my heart beating. It was like a physiological draw to just go and it would be a regular temptation to just go get a little bit. Your flesh wants you to make a compromise. Just, just get a small one. Just get a little bit. You know, at that period of my life, that something that the Lord was using was God had showed me what could be my wife. And I knew that if she ever saw me drunk, it would be over. She wasn't having that, you know? So I was like, man, there were times I was weighing that out. Like, mm, man, like I want what God's trying to give me. I don't want to jack it up. And then over here, my flesh is like, and so I look back and I'm like, that's one way that God helped me. It may not sound real spiritual to you, but it was effective for me. But my point is this, you don't toy with your flesh, you die to it. And the same thing that maybe in the very beginning, it's kind of like when you fast. If anybody here has done an extended fast, when is the most difficult time? It's in the beginning. First two, maybe three days. Your flesh is like, no, it's eat time. That first day, that's the worst day of a fast. As your body is saying, no, right, we eat by now. And as you go beyond that, it's like, no, no, we would have ate by now, ate again by now. Your flesh is on roar. It's like, you tripping, you know, and every smell, you smell everything better. You know, food is nasty. McDonald's starts smelling like, you know, filet mignon, everything. And that's after a few days, it all just kind of slows down, shuts down. It's like your body recognizes, okay, you're not listening anymore. The flesh is no longer running you, but your fasting is exercise of putting your spirit over your flesh. I am denying my body something that it needs and is used to having for the purpose of seeking God. And it's a great practice of putting your flesh in its place. Now the flesh is not dominating the flesh. Like, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the spirit is saying, not right now, not right now. We're going to pray. Or we're going to read right now. And after you do that for a while, the flesh just finds its place under. 
And so if there's other areas of the flesh where the flesh is just raining, starving to death, don't make allowances, don't give opportunity, just shut it down. It has to be starved to death. The flesh dies hard, but it will die if you starve it to death. You just don't feed it, it will die. And so wherever your flesh is just, you know, giving you a difficult time, starve it to death. That's the answer. It will die. If you don't feed it, it'll die. You know, whatever your sin is, you just stop. And that's the only way to victory. Do you ever start thinking about God's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement? He loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes it even a step further when he says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, know that he is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811. We love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Romans in this series a book filled with wisdom and instructions for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on A Transforming Word.